Good morning and welcome to our November 20th, 2023 Community Policing Podcast. Today in the studio with me uh, is Sue Strong, the program coordinator with Mothers Against Drunk Driving and Officer Marshall Scott with uh, the Bloomfield Township Police Department. Uh, Marshall is a drug recognition expert uh, and field training officer with our agency and has uh, experience in specific training in the detection of drunk driving and any type of impaired driving. Today's an important day uh, or, and topic for us to discuss uh, during this time, especially with the holiday season approaching. While drunk driving is always a problem, uh, during the holidays it seems, one, that, that it increases, and two, it's when we really recognize uh, and put emphasis on all the tragedies that occur throughout the year. Um, so I want to welcome both of you to the show. And, uh, Thank you for having we, us. Thank we you. appreciate you being here. Sue, so we're going to start off with you. How long have you been with MAD? I've been with MAD for 10 and a half years. Okay. I'm the program coordinator and um, technically my main job is doing the victim impact panels uh, for first and second time offenders, their court order to attend a MAD victim impact panel where they realize the consequences of driving under the influence. And that's ordered through the district court? That's ordered at, at, through the district court level. Okay. Um, For the last three years, you and I, or we, we met by chance, yes. um, and uh, it really turned into a partnership when, yeah. uh, when we, you were introduced to Officer Soli, our community relations officer. Um, but we met by chance because I was on uh, the radio having a conversation with our friends over at 99.5 one morning, yep. um, and a comment was made about um, possibly going out and having a drink afterwards, and, and I, I responded to that. I think my exact words were, ah, no. Correct. <laughs> uh, and you just happened to be listening that day yeah. um, and really reached out to our agency after that, um, wondering if we would partner with Mothers Against Drunk Driving um, for the Taiwan On for Safety campaign. Yes. Let's talk about that. What is the Taiwan On for Safety? The Taiwan On for Safety campaign is actually bringing more awareness during the holidays. Uh, obviously, with people going out, uh, visiting family, friends, you know, at the bars, restaurants, um, there is more drinking that is being done during this holiday time and it's just to bring more awareness of not to be drinking and getting behind a wheel right and uh, last thursday we'll roll a video here uh, on november 16th it was we we did our third partnership with you over at m1 concourse who were, who were a great host um and re- to bring the awareness to start off the campaign for this holiday season um and let's talk so at that event, we, we get to hear from um, victims who, whose families have been just, you know, a victim. I mean, when you talk about a victim impact panel, you, it doesn't get much worse than listening to a mother uh, describe the loss of her daughter. Correct. Yes. Um, and I give Christina Beaver, it was her that spoke, uh, first time she ever spoke about the loss of her daughter in public, um, the crash, and... Um, she did a terrific job. Her daughter was killed about two and a half years ago by a third time offender. Yeah, um, and during that event afterwards, we all go out to our patrol cars and we tie one of these ribbons on. Um, if you wanna show one of the ribbons. Um, and this really starts the campaign. Is there a significance behind the ribbon? Uh, the significance behind the ribbon is, obviously the red is, you know, really to bring awareness, like, oh, you know, catch somebody's eye about not drinking and driving. And it's also to designate a driver, have a designated driver. 
which in today's day and age, from when you started with Matt, even only 10 and a half years yes. ago, which was probably a fast 10 years, things have changed. We have so many new opportunities for people yes. not to get behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. Yeah. Lyft, Uber, a friend, you know, so many people, um, you know, have a friend, family member, you know, call me if you need a ride. Take advantage of that. They're there. They want to make sure you get home safe for there isn't a crash or the, that person doesn't get killed themselves. So yeah, which is it's happening too frequently. And, too, and yeah, nothing's really changed. I mean, the stats have gone down since Mad's been around since 1980, but the driving under the influence is still there. Let's talk about that for a minute because when Mothers Against Drunk Driving started, and I don't know, do you know when it originated at all? 1980. In 1980, um, things have changed drastically with driving behaviors, and that's where, where somebody like Marshall or Officer Scott comes in, mm -hmm. right, Marshall? Let's talk a little bit about, um, even in your five and a half years with the department, how that's changed a little bit. Um, when you went to the academy, or, or when, even when I went to the academy 20-something years ago, we learned standardized field sobriety testing for drunk driving. Yes, it can be used for other you know, impairments, um, but now we have drug recognition experts. And Marshall, talk a little bit why that came about. So the, the drug recognition program in Michigan is fairly recent in the grand scheme of things. I believe we were either the 47th or 48th state to adopt the program here. Um, started with now Sergeant Jeremy Peters at Auburn Hills, who's Michigan's first uh, DRE. But that's just a way to magnify that there, there is more of an issue than just drunk driving. There's drugged driving, which I, I feel in my own opinion has skyrocketed in the last several years. And that's something that in my time here, I've focused on quite a bit, um, especially last year coming to the day shift, experiencing a lot of crashes, a lot of which had the prescription drugs, which might not be something that you think about when you think of drug driving, which were causes. Right. And that's kind of the, the transition, right? Where Mothers right. Against Drunk Driving still stands for against any impaired driving, whether Correct. it's prescription drugs. It's just in, in yeah. 1980, we were focused on the bottle and the alcohol, you know, the liquid and not so much the pill form of things. Right. Yeah. I think maybe five years ago, um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, part of the mission now does include drug driving. So. And that's where the drug recognition experts come in. Marshall, talk a little bit about the training with that. So, so it's it's different than doing just a roadside sobriety testing. That's included, but but yes. talk about your extensive it, training. In this. It it starts in the academy with the twenty four hour standardized field sobriety test course that everybody takes coming out of the academy to get your certification. Um, following that, you go through what is called a ride which is Advanced Roadside Impaired Driving Enforcement, which is a, a class that you go through. It's kind of the middle ground. It's a refresher of your SFSTs, like you would get in your basic class, and then an introduction into the seven drug categories that are the focus of the drug recognition experts. Um, the DRE school is three schools. Um, in Michigan, we combine the preschool and the school into one two-week block. Um, it's very rigorous academically, um, practically as well. There's a lot of practice that goes into it, a lot of going through the repetitions, um, quizzes every day, maintaining an average of 80% on all of your quizzes and your tests. Um, that all comes together in a final, final week, which is the field certification, where you go through and you have to complete uh, 12 successful 
evaluations, the full 12 step evaluation, and then take your final knowledge exam, yeah. which is about six to eight hours to complete. And Marshall's one of three drug recognition experts within our agency. Uh, Officer Nick Soley is one, um, Officer, uh, Officer Heather Lovatch is one, and then Marshall. Um, and the DREs, there's several now without in the county. At one point, it was more of a specialized, uh, smaller group. It's it's expanded because of um, we are seeing so much more of the prescription and uh, narcotic level impaired driving. Um, Marshall, the field practical was yours out of state. Yes, we went to Jacksonville. Originally, it was done at the Maricopa County Jail in Arizona, and I believe it was during COVID that that changed. So now we go to a clinic in Jacksonville, Florida where you do all of your uh, practicals. And these are usually the individuals that you're um, testing or, or evaluating are volunteers, but they're they're truly under the influence, Yes, right? they are. They actually, they get screened twice before we get a chance to go through our evaluation. They do a, uh, a drug screening, uh, and then they actually meet with the instructors who make sure that they're showing you true signs of, of what the drug that they're on should show so that you're not getting any different or ridiculous kind of findings when you do your own evaluation to offset your training. Yeah. So when I was in high school, Mothers Against Drunk Driving was a big club. Um, is that still the case in a lot of the high schools? Um, you know, it's hard to really get connected with the high schools. Um, but we are out there. We do have uh, different prevention, underage prevention programs. And um, you know, kids are starting to drink at 9 and 10 years old now. So we definitely need to get in the middle schools and high schools. Uh, we even have a program that can be for grade school. So it's- That's a scary It's stat. scary, it's scary. Nine and 10 years old. Yes. I can tell you, I mean, of a parent of 12 year olds, I, I can't even imagine my yes. kids thinking about <laughs> drinking, smoking, doing anything right. at, at that age. But yeah. I, unfortunately, some of these young children are, are brought up in an environment where, um, you know, they, they may not know any better or have the guidance that, that can help lead them right. away from it. You say it's tough to get in the high schools. And I remember in high school, we had sad students against drunk mm -hmm. driving. So it was, you know, is, is that still a thing within the schools? Yeah, or? some of the schools still have sad, okay. um, you know, the universities, et cetera, the, you know, colleges. Um, but like so many people think that still does not exist. But we are full force in Michigan. Um, you know, we only have six employees that we cover the entire state. Uh, we have a manager of uh, victim services. She's on the west side of the state. We have a victim service specialist that lives in the Upper Peninsula, and she has the UP in the upper part of Michigan as her region. Uh, we have two victim service specialists that handle the middle, southeast, southwestern part of Michigan. That's kind of sad to me that we have six employees for such an important topic. Yes. Uh, but so let's talk about that. How can the community participate in something like MAD or, or SAD or any of those? Uh, yeah, we have various uh, volunteer opportunities, uh, court monitoring, uh, the victim impact panels to facilitate. Uh, if there are victims that are out there that want to tell their story, we are more than willing to assist them and get them ready to go and speak. Um, all kinds of different volunteer opportunities for like fundraising, uh, like, you know, different events that we have. Yeah. Um, I know it's an honor for us to, to lead that or, or to kind of be the organizers of the Taiwan on for um, the Taiwan on for safety campaign. And, you know, 
We all stood. There was probably thirty or forty police officers there, I would guess, um, yes. and, and participation. Yeah. And and we sit and listen to kind of the same. Not, I want to say the same stories, but some of the stories that we that are frequent to us in our career field. I don't want to say strictly Bloomfield Township. Uh, we we obviously have ours, um, but as a career field, and and the the one of the panelists said, you know, it, it really hits home when when they say some of you are the last people who may have prayed with our family, who may have hugged our family, who may have talked to our family. And yes. so I, I kind of scanned over all the officers there and and I, I could see several that probably had lumps in their throat when you yes. sit back and really, really hear the too. panels, hear the parents of a you know beautiful young lady that was a 100% preventable accident yes. um, and to, to hear that. But I think it's also good for the law enforcement side of it to remember why we do it. You know, yes. to hear those stories, it just makes us realize we can have an impact by going out and doing some traffic enforcement yeah. all day long um, and, and stopping cars that are showing signs of impairment or drivers that are showing mm -hmm. signs of impairment, not the cars. Marshall, let's talk a little bit about how we identify some of the impaired driving. Well, it, it starts with, it, it's just as simple as it sounds silly, but it's just paying attention to the cars around you. Um, Things that don't strike you as normal, uh, cars leaving their lane, cars that might not be leaving their lane, but they're doing everything they can to zigzag around, um, which is sad because especially with the distracted driving that we see, the, the combining of the two, which in my experience goes hand in hand. Um, people not, not driving at green lights, people slowing down for green lights. Uh, in the extreme cases, when you see them, it's people legitimately falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah, and these aren't something, you know, you going through the DRE class gives you a lot more understanding of some of the things. Some of these are physiological things that impairment does to your body that you have no idea or you can control. Exactly. It, it could be something as simple as the, the size of your pupil, whether that be your pupil dilating and allowing too much light in affecting your vision or your pupil constricting and allowing not enough light in affecting what you can and can't see. Um, that is something that through the, the DRE program, you're, you're trained more to focus on, but everybody walking around in day-to-day -day life knows what, what a normal person looks like and what someone who is under the influence of something looks like. It's just taking the steps to act upon it when it's in front of you. Right, and some of those things, I mean, People who are under the influence, we know as, as if through our experience, while they're driving, they're trying to be intentional about not doing things. Yes. Right? Braking, you know, erratic braking for absolutely mm -hmm. no reason. Uh, they feel like they're going faster than they truly are, so they might be riding their brakes the whole time. Yes. Um, and But the reactionary time as well. Under the influence, I don't know if you know any of the, the specifics on that, but somebody that's been drinking one or two beers has a different reactionary time than somebody who's, you know, well-rested and um, yes, and that's that's an important distinction to make because the the slowing of your reaction time starts much sooner than one might think. It it starts a lot sooner than the actual 0 .08 per se limit that we have in Michigan. .05. Yeah, so we're seeing it all the time. Um, you mentioned the services that MAD provides year round um, is really the victim impact statement or uh, the court ordered victim impact uh, hearings or 
panels. Panels that, that they do. And I remember back when I did my internship in Ferndale years ago, <laughs> uh, I was riding with an officer and he was assigned th that evening to one of the panels. So that was 24 years ago, 25 years ago, um, that they were doing victim impact mm -hmm. panels. Um, do you think they have a, a impact on, on what the perception of, of what really occurs during these incidents? That you're going to, you know, some people just don't get it at all. Uh, but the, I think the majority of the people that do attend uh, really wake up. They realize. Um, I even do a survey after the class classes, and you know they really did realize the consequences of what could have happened. And you know, unfortunately, somebody's life can be taken away at a blink of an eye. And you know, but then a lot of them too are worried that they made it home safe. You know, not so much that the thank God that they didn't cause an accident, a crash and kill somebody or injure someone. We've had thank so. you letters sent to our officers after they've been arrested for mm -hmm. drunk driving. Um, and, you know, thanking them and, and apologizing. And I think a lot of people, especially your first, you, you, in my opinion, the second, third or multiple offenses is somebody who has a major drinking problem yes. or, or some addiction problem that just needs the, the help to get out of it. I don't think they intend to go out, but they don't also recognize when we talk about the impairment level or the reactionary or decision-making level, it, it drops significantly. Yes. And everybody, how many times have we heard him say on the road, Marshall, I, was, I thought I was okay to drive. Absolutely. And, they're, and they're at a 0.14, right? And then you would ask them, do you feel safe enough to drive? And some of them say, no, you know, right yeah. out, right out. So it's, it's kind of scary. Um, Marshall, when we stop somebody for, you know, operating under the influence of anything, we, we, we talk about drunk driving, but it's anything. Um, yeah. What's our process? What do we go through? What are we looking for in, in those ways? Essentially, when you're going through your training, even in the academy, you, you break it down into three categories. You have your vehicle in motion, paying attention to the driving cues or indicators that someone might be driving under the influence. Then you have your personal contact, the actual face-to-face speaking to them initially when they're still in the car, then you have your pre-arrest screening. Um, some of the things that I think are very striking to the everyday person is in that personal contact phase when someone gives you a credit card instead of a driver's license or they're looking right through you. They're just totally glazed over in the eyes. They don't know what's going on. Um, people stumbling when they get out of a car. None of which needs any kind of scientific training or advanced anything to recognize but it's very obvious, but not to the person who's making that decision. Um, and then the pre-arrest screening, which is when you get into your standardized field sobriety tests, when you're, when you're looking for horizontal gaze nystagmus, when you're checking their ability to divide their attention during the walk and turn or the one leg stand. Um, that and not as much just making them go through it, but paying attention to how they do it. Uh, are they doing it too slow? Because once again, their reactionary time is down. Are they doing it way too fast because something that they may have taken may be ramping up their, their system? All of which goes into the decision that you make, um, inevitably ending in either the arrest or not to arrest decision. Yeah, and I, don't, I think it's, you know, everyone bases what they see from what we do on, on television, right? Unless they've been through it. But what you're seeing now is when you talk about standardized fields writing tests, there is actually certain clues we're looking for per 
you know, per observation that we give. And I really don't even like to call it testing, even though that's what it is, because it's really an evaluation of, of what you're capable of doing and whether or not you're impaired. Um, but we actually look for the clues and the cues behind, um, and we don't just make up things out of our head, like, oh, we're just going to make you point to your nose for a reason. Yeah. I mean, everything's got a methodical reason behind it. Um, and so that's important, especially in court cases. Absolutely. Um, so that there's not just some random thing. Um, any other services that Matt offers year-round for people to... Yeah, we offer the services to the victims year-round, um, no charge, and um, whatever they need, resources, or just to talk to their victim at their victim service specialist. Uh, we accompany them through the court system when they go to court. Uh, so whatever they need, we're there 24 hours for them. I think it's important that you say that there's somebody there because these families relive this for sometimes, especially through COVID, maybe for two or three years before their, their family member was impacted or killed, severely injured, whatever it might have been. Um, and then pushing into that court system with all the delays. The delays I mean, these families are reliving yes. this trauma over and over, over again. Yes. Yeah, they get the courage to go to court to deal with it. And then they get there, it's canceled, adjourned. Then they get rescheduled, build that strongness up again, you know, and adjourned again. I mean, for, I mean, a court case like that could probably, you know, at least three years. Yeah, which is terrible. Terrible. Um, is there any one significant story that stands out in your mind? I know that's, uh, you've spent a round of time, but that just really all the time, you you're know, like, man. I can't just do one, because I, I thought about that. And it's just, you know, the victims, what they go through. Um, with their loved one just taken, you know, which is 100% preventable. And, you know, now with the holidays coming up, that person's not going to be at that table, you know, and that's really tough. So It is tough. And I, I tell you, we, we stood there the other day and listened to uh, Mrs. Beaver talk. And yes. I, I mean, I her daughter drove went to 15 minutes. She was supposed to be back. Yeah. Right. 15 minutes. And it changed their world right. forever. It changed their world forever, all because of a preventable accident. Yeah. And that, so Marshall, we talk about what do we do, advise people to do during the holidays. We're at the holiday time, obviously. I, I always say, and it doesn't matter, the, the tragedy is a tragedy, it doesn't matter what time of year. But holidays always, it seems to make yes. where, where I, I don't know if it's, the impact's greater because it is a holiday and that seat's empty. And we also, for when we talk to, to uh, students at school, it's always those last few weeks of being a senior in high school. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. You know, that we, we see these tragedies and you see how much more life is ahead of, of these some of these young mm -hmm. kids who are, either, yeah. who either are victims of it or they're the ones who go out and don't, you know, don't make the correct decisions. Right. What do we, I mean, there's ways to do it, but what do we tell well, people during the holidays? You have to, you have to have a plan. You, you'll spend days, weeks, months, if not years, planning some of these, these nights out, these trips but you won't make any plan for how you're going to come home. And that's where people make the terrible, avoidable decision to drive. I, I think the way that you phrase it is important too mm -hmm. to some of these, especially to kids. And you say it is preventable. It's not an accident. It's a crash because right. you made the conscious choice to do everything you did up until the point where you crashed. Mm -hmm. None of this was by accident. 
And we've seen over the on the news over the last, I, I feel like over the last two months, the wrong way drivers on these freeways. Yes. Um, and I would ha- venture to guess, you know, that the majority are under the influence mm-hmm. of, of something. Um, and you, most people can recognize when they're getting on an en- exit ramp versus when they're not. And if they are going doing it, they catch it by the time they hit the bottom of that ramp and we start doing 70, 80 miles per hour in the opposite direction. Yes. But we've seen them all over the place. And, you know, we have so many play- people or places that um, that sponsor during holiday seasons, you know, and, and sometimes on, uh, on these nights where they'll pay for, there's attorney firms that'll pay for yes. your yeah. Uber ride and that if you submit your receipt or something. And yeah. there's so many opportunities for us to prevent this, but, but it's not 100% working. Um, and that's what the scary part is. Um, Marshall, what are the penalties? Um, first offense. First offense for operating while intoxicated is a 93-day misdemeanor. Um, what's, a po- what's the pocketbook hit about, do you think? I think it's it's several thousand dollars upwards. Ten thousand. Yeah, for first offense. First offense uh, for court fees, attorney fees, mm-hmm. reimbursement, uh, everything. Your time. Okay. Car insurance goes up. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. or not, or, or refusing to insure. Yeah, um, all the way up to. But when we started, it was three. You know, three drunk drivings within ten years was a felony. That changed. No, right? now it's it's any third or subsequent offense lifetime. Of lifetime. Yep. which is a big deal mm-hmm. um, because so, for so long we would see that um, just to repeat, but people knew the rules and laws and, and when they have a problem or addiction, they don't, they don't think of that. You know, they think they, I made it, I made it through the next five, six, seven years okay. without a problem. Now I can do it again. We, when we restart that clock or we restarted now that's changed, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, an important topic. If anybody wants some of these uh, ribbons for their vehicles, I know we have some in our lobby in the front at the police department. Um, yeah, they can call me, um, and I can ship them out to them. Um, hopefully, I don't know how many you have at the PD, but I can give you more. You can go to the, the police department to pick up more. Yep, right in so. our lobby, we have them, and well, they're just laying out so people can come in and, and grab them. Um, Marshall, what do we need to tell our residents or anybody on the road? If they see a drunk driver, do not be afraid to call us, please. No, absolutely. We can't be everywhere. I wish we could have more people working, more people designated strictly to the the drunk and drug driving enforcement. But be our eyes and ears when we can't be there. Right. Call us. It's plenty of times we get calls of, of people reporting bad driving. Even if it doesn't turn out to be an intoxicated person, it's it's worth it if if we get one. If it saves a life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I pulled some stats for us. Last year, 20, year of 2022, calendar year, uh, we made, as an agency, 183 drunk driving arrests. Um, we're down this year. We're about 90, I think, right about now this year. Um, we, we've talked about the reason why of that. We're down, you know, eight, nine police officers at the time. Um, so that really, t- we're, our calls for service are staying about the same, but the types of calls are more serious. The time we spend on those calls are taking more time, uh, which limits our proactivity sometimes on the road. Um, we're, we, you know, our residents were uh, fantastic at our last millage time uh, and approved a millage. We're hoping to bring back our, well, we will be bringing back our traffic unit. Um, we just have to get our recruiting and t- retention up so we can, we can dedicate you know, four or five bodies directly to a traffic patrol unit, but that's crucial. Um, and I know Marshall, you, you know, about a year ago, you approached me and said, you know, is this something that we can do and do drunk driving targeting enforcement on weekends, you know, and, and things of that nature. And I think it's important. Um, it is. 
and in the, as an agency that we t- we put a priority on it. And I can tell you, we do. You, we, with the number of agencies that showed up for the yes. time went on for safety campaign every year, it grows. Yeah. Um, you know, this year we we did that that honor lap um, to start off the campaign, and it was amazing to see mm. you know probably thirty or forty patrol cars. It seemed that many at least um, there. So. We do take it serious, um, and and everybody wants to see that these numbers drop and, and not listen to the stories that we heard um, the other day. That those are, you know, those are hard to sit through, especially as we all these younger officers right. get families and how important we have to put this on. So, yeah. any final thoughts, Sue? Well, you know, I just thought of you know like one victim that um, spoke for me years ago. Um, her daughter, it was a single car crash. Her BAC level is like a point three something, you know, twenty two years old. But um, the silver lining in that, the police officer held her hand at the crash, and so he was holding her hand when she passed away, and that was the silver lining for the mom. So having you guys out there and being there is very important to the victims. It is important to our victims, and it's important for us. So, Marshall, any last comments for our residents and? Our listeners? No, please stay vigilant during the holiday season. Don't let one decision ruin the rest of someone else's life or, or yours. And even if we've made the decision to get in that car, if you drive a mile down the road and realize you're off, you just don't feel right, that you're, you're seeing double lights, mm-hmm. um, let's pull over and make the right decision. Park your car in a parking lot, Lock the doors. Remember to lock the doors um, and um, get a ride home. Uh, I mean, get a ride home. And Marshall, one last thing that when I said that was bright lights. Yeah. Drunks or people that are under the influence are attracted to bright lights. And a lot of people ask, why do they crash into the only car on the road? And there's two cars on the road and they crash into it. Why? Mm-hmm. And, and that's because... For whatever reaction. Yeah, whatever it is, whether it's their their only focus is don't hit that car, and now all they're doing is looking at that car, and they drift to it. It's what happens with police officers on the side of the roads when their lights are strobing and lighting up yeah. the night. Oh, my God. It's, I did and, not know that. I was yes, wondering. They, they, yeah, it, it so, happens. And, you know, just in closing, our, our agency is a victim of a drunk driver. All right, We lost Officer Gary Davis in 2004 uh, from getting getting t-boned by a drunk driver while arresting a drunk driver so um and we, we talked about making the right decisions and that was a young man that was graduating the fire academy the next day so our agency's uh very passionate yeah. about about trying to prevent these these types of tragedies i want to thank both of you for coming um, and attending today it's a very important topic this time of year but let's be real it's important all the time it yes. just has a greater impact for whatever reason right. for the holidays so Uh, I want to thank you both for coming. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to our Community Policing Podcast. Just a few uh, crime alerts around the uh, township in the last couple weeks. Uh, Sheriff Bouchard spoke several weeks ago about a uh, South American theft group that may have been targeting uh, 
some local jurisdictions. Uh, Bloomfield Township was the victim of similar incidents over the last couple of weeks. Uh, those incidents have occurred in several communities around us, uh, and they, they, they target high-end homes, uh, mansion-style homes, and they're targeting jewelry, uh, high-end handbags, and they typically are uh, entering homes where nobody is home and they confirm nobody is home. We are working with our, all of our agencies around us on this problem. Uh, unfortunately, there's several active crews across the United States. We've been in contact with our federal partners uh, as well as the agencies from across the country on this, uh, on this matter. So we are aware of the home invasions. We're doing everything we can to prevent them and be proactive in, in identifying their patterns of behavior, uh, but they are a sophisticated organized group um, and we're, we're pretty sure they're all connected together. Um, over the past weekend, we had approximately 14 or 15 vehicles broken into again. Uh, again, these are crimes of opportunity. Uh, the suspects in these cases usually go door to door um, in residential neighborhoods, especially unlit neighborhoods, uh, and they're trying to un just find unlocked vehicles. Um, all the vehicles that were targeted this weekend were left unlocked outside in the driveways. And again, I, I mentioned it every week, but we're just always encouraging our residents to do that nine o'clock routine. Lock your cars, make sure uh, everything is secure and there's no valuables left in your vehicles. Um, over the last uh, week also, we've had some postings on arrests made by the town, uh, by our officers. One in particular, we received a tip on uh, somebody with, who may have been in possession of several hundred photos of uh, child pornography. A lengthy investigation was started on that, um, and we were able to make an arrest here in the last couple of weeks on that case. Uh, we're working with the, inter the state police's uh, internet um, crimes unit to further this investigation and hopefully uh, bring more charges uh, if they are uh, proved. Um, again, I wanna thank everybody for attending uh, today or, or tuning in today. Uh, it's very important, the topic we had today of, of the drunk driving, especially around the holiday seasons. Uh, please, as, you, as the, our holiday parties uh, kick off, make good decisions, uh, have a plan in place if you're gonna uh, have a good time and drink or um, consume anything that could impair your driving. Thank you and uh, happy Thanksgiving.